When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. And welcome to Footballistically Arsenal. I'm Boyd Hilton, as ever. Uh, I've got my sidekick uh, co-host, Josh Landy, with me. All right, Josh? I'm well, Boyd. This is a treat we've got today. I've just finished watching, so I'm really excited. But you can tell us yeah. what, what I'm referring to. It's a huge treat. Um, uh, apart from talking about our usual Arsenal shit, um, various um, exciting news events, including Lacazette Balloon Gate 2, Unai Emery talking nonsense to Sidlow, the great Sidlow in The Guardian, the return of the Bundesliga and other things. We've also got our very special guest, writer, producer, co-creator of The Inbetweeners, creator of White Gold and now co-creator of a new BBC Two series about Premier League football. Please welcome Damon Beasley. Welcome, Damon. Good evening. Thank you for having me. It's It's a pleasure. We've got to say, Damien, you're rocking the Arsenal shirt that everyone loves. Is that an original or is this one of the remakes? Of course it's not an original, Josh. Everything about me is plastic. This was bought at Christmas by my mum for me because was, she was asking me what I wanted and I was like, I think that's the only thing I really want at the moment just because it's out. But yeah, I never had an original. Uh, unfortunately, it's a disgusting shirt in many ways, isn't it? But I, I like many others, I, I also have a huge emotional attachment to it. At the time, it was considered, it, it was kind of considered disgusting. Yeah, I remember. And everyone thought it was, it was embarrassing. And then, of course, after a few years, it became a retro favourite. And now it's really cool. And everyone's kind of trying to do their own version of that shit. So. I, I tell you what I fell for, like many men my age, who haven't quite got the physique or the chiselled jawline of Hector Bellerin, who was, it was rocking it all over his Twitter feed. And I thought, wow, that looks good, doesn't it, that show? I mean, I, I've got to get myself one of those. And then as soon as it arrived and I unpacked it and put it on, my kids were looking at me. I mean, it was, I would say it was a mixture of terror and I like, like the funniest clip you've ever seen on YouTube, crying with laughter and just saying, what the hell? Why would you wear it? Boyd, have you got one? I got. I mean, we're talking about the Bruised Banana shirt. I'm sure everyone's got that now. Did you get one, Boyd? Because I also got one in these remakes, and they sold out so quick, which I think shows you the demand. Um, well, I got one at the time, because um, uh, uh, being of a certain age, and um, but I lost it, obviously, years ago. In fact, I think I, I, think I quite clearly remember throwing it out, thinking, no, one's not going to want to see that again, including myself. <laughs> and, of course, then it became, to use that uh, word, iconic, yes. 
Uh, but we should say, Damon, that apart from creating all this great TV, including the new show, we were talking about your new show, um, the first team, which starts next Thursday on BBC Two, which Josh has seen, and I've seen the whole thing. Um, last time I saw you, in fact, you were busy editing it, which was months and months and months ago, before the virus. Um, yeah. But we should say you are also an Arsenal fan, obviously, which is why you're wearing that shirt. Um, and so we're going to talk, to start with, we're going to talk about Arsenal-related news. So, well, just vaguely football. First of all, how are you coping in, in uh, lockdown? Are you, are you in London? Where are you based? And how are you dealing with the whole thing? Well, I'm in Seven Oaks in Kent. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things. That it's very difficult to strike the right tone when you answer this question, because I get asked this a lot, because we're doing a lot mm. And you sort of think, oh, I don't want to come across as sort of smug and irritating because, you know, we've got a garden and we've, you know, the homeschooling's not that bad. My kids are a certain age. They sort of, you know, we were very attentive when it first started, but now they kind of get on with it and we, we catch up at the end of the week. <laughs> like, we're fine. So we're all in this weird sort of, you know, Neverland, really, where the weather's great, where we've got lots of space, we're all at home together. And, yeah, it's weird. I mean, it, you do realise occasionally that you're getting affected by it because you go a bit stir crazy you know everyone has a grumpy day as i put it every day of the week and you have to forgive them that and but other other than that it's kind of i mean it's super weird but also super bearable isn't it i can i can do this because obviously there's a fantastic reason why you have to do it but yeah i'm i i shudder to think what it's like if you're living in a you know a tiny flat and in the middle of a city it it must be hellish yeah, is it weird having a big show coming out though in this period? This this is a first, isn't it? Where you've got your your yeah. big series arriving and you're doing all the press, I guess, virtually like this. <laughs> yeah, and and I guess what you know, yeah, God, it's terribly cynical, isn't it, to be thinking about launching a show at a time like this? And in your head, you try not to have cynical thoughts, but there's a bit of me that's thinking. What if the lockdown's over, like, on May the 28th, literally? It's a bit like <laughs> VE Day. And, if, like, no one will be in. Like, that would be it, wouldn't it? There would be no one right. in the houses. I know you can watch it on catch-up, and it's a very selfish thought to have, but there's a bit of me thinking, you know, don't – let's just keep it until – I mean, June the 1st has been mooted, hasn't it, by, by Boris in one of his very, very sort of, like, clear press conferences. So, <laughs> I'm – yeah, who knows? But yeah, I mean, it's weird, isn't it? You have such a, you're right. It's a weird thing to contemplate doing, putting a show out at this time. But I'm sort of hoping it's going to bring a bit of light relief to a lot of people. That's partly the the plan. Was there any thinking, Damon, of putting it out? Because originally this should have been the end of a season, and then there would have been this little gap between before the Euros. Was that deliberate at all? Well, I think there was originally scheduled around the euros which could be <laughs> into one year two so yeah it was it was deli- you know then they had to re lost a lot of programs that would have been delivered as well so i feel like we've come forward slightly in the schedule um we were due to go around the euros which i think would have been june wouldn't it so we come forward a few weeks but yeah originally the plan was kind of this time of the year end of the season um it's so strange because a lot of the, uh, you know, obviously making it, one of the big problems of making a show about football is that you, you really struggle to kind of recreate stadiums and fill them with people. And obviously that's like now not the football experience after this weekend. So there's so many things in it that they're not, it's the, almost the opposite of prescient, you know, like in the Simpsons, you know, there are things in it now that we could talk about later, but I mean, there's a particular scene where a lot of people are throwing toilet roll onto a pitch, which must feel like, you know, <laughs> we're 
it's a very risky thing to be sort of flaunting toilet roll misuse in people's faces at this time, <laughs> I feel. It's a period piece. It's a period piece. Um, <laughs> now, talking of the weekend, did, did you watch any German football? I mean, I, I watched the, I uh, the the first game. I watched the Schalke-Dortmund game. Did you? What, what's your, what was your feeling yeah. about the whole thing? I thought it was... Uh, I thought it would be harder to watch than it was, but I still didn't care that much. I think it was a bit of a, I liked having, I guess I liked having a tent pole in the weekend. You know, it felt like it made it feel like a weekend, didn't it? Just having a bit of football on in the background. The games were a bit weird. Harland's a freak and I love watching him. I mean, he's just so massive, like a massive kid. It reminds me yeah. of the chickens. Alan Partridge used to go about the chickens in like being fed <laughs> on steroids in sheds by farmers in yeah, he just reminds me of that. Like, unbelievable to watch. So, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like re- it was kind of reassuring to have it back, and also to a bit weird. And I'm not sure whether I'd be watching much more of it. What about <laughs> yeah. you? Um, yeah, kind of the same. I was surprised by the extent to which it didn't seem to affect the way the players were being physical, you know, with each other. Like, yeah. I saw one journalist saying after about 25 minutes, "Oh, you know, it's clearly they're it, they're weirdly." not playing but I thought actually there, there was some full-on contact certainly at corners and free kicks mm. and stuff um and obviously there was the celebration which was weird anyway but that was that could have been a, a just <laughs> normal kooky player celebration anyway and uh, Harlan's clearly a, a kind of freaky guy anyway um but I, I just didn't yeah I was very uh, if that's going to be Arsenal if we're going to be in, in a month's time watching I'll be absolutely fine with it I'll be like yeah I'm going to yeah. love watching because the football was good like that, as I was kind of, like, this is going to be all right, really. You can, uh, you can. I, I think I was worried about it. a game with my son when we're watching it. it would be, oh, social distancing, oh, social distancing, kind of as a kind of corner or a free kick. But, you know, that soon wore off. And yeah, it's, it doesn't really affect the football, does it? I mean, the one thing I, I noticed was that without the, like, the kind of like director's commentary, I suppose, of a crowd there's not as many peaks and troughs. If you see, it felt flatter as an experience. So, uh, so I could exp- enjoy it and enjoy the technical side of it, but I didn't quite, have, it didn't, you know, it didn't have that kind of. Okay. Or spitting over your shoulder and just going, what the hell's that referee, you know, and kind of like, you yeah. know, directing your emotions and, and that, you know, just takes a bit of getting used to, I guess. Yeah. Josh, what did you think? No. Boyd, I didn't watch a second of it. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I was on the way to the garden centre on Saturday and Talk Sport had live commentary. But that was even more weird in a way because you've got two blokes who are not at the stadium in a studio in London doing it off tube. Even those two people are not in the same room. So the whole, that was really weird. And with all greatest respect, there's a level of, of research you can do into the German elite, but it, it just didn't sound authentic. But I totally, if I was in charge of talk sport right now, I'd have been doing the same thing. And I'm sure people were following and listening, but I don't know. I wouldn't really watch a Bundesliga game in normal circumstance. And I didn't find it being a priority for me on Saturday. Had it been a premier league game, I'm sure I would have wanted to, to watch. And it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, what I find interesting is talking to some of the ex-players who I deal with on, on a work basis about the importance of, of home advantage and, and how important is it? And if you take the crowd out of that, what's left? And their general feeling is very little. 
like the biggest home advantage all of these ex-players I've spoken to, and I'm surprised. I thought it'd be like, no, it's hugely important not to have the travel. It's hugely important that when you're playing a pass from right back to left back, you can recognize an area of a stadium. I got laughed at when I said that to one of like one of the, because they were like, we're all Premier League players. Do you think we can't ping a ball like 50, 60 yards? Like, of course we can. So that might be the interesting thing that home advantage just sort of goes but I get why you have to play them home in a way. And I don't like this idea of neutral venues. You didn't have a problem outside the German stadiums of people congregating and undermining all the sort of social distancing efforts. And I hope that will be the case in England and they can get it done. But I think, again, from talking to people, they 100% expect we're going ahead. 15th of June or 22nd of June, that's the only question. It's just which Saturday is it going to kick off? And I think we're going to have it. And I now think we're going to finish the season, um, which yeah, is looks like it, yeah. which feels positive, I guess, because one way or another, it would have just felt wrong not to not to finish the season. And now I think I was reading a report that you've got like the Lyon president in France saying, well, we decided too early. How, how can it be that the rest of Europe are now able to maybe get this back on? And we, we didn't wait. So it's all, uh, it's all there. That was a very long winded way of saying, no, I didn't watch German football. Yeah. Well, I'm still reading for that. You didn't watch it, but that's fine. But it was funny, wasn't it? Cause the mirror report, I don't know if you saw the mirror reported today that the game, the, 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 the German football was only third, only the third most watched thing on non-terrestrial TV. I was, I was like, the headline should be German football. Amazing ratings hit. I mean, it was unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, people watch German football. I thought particularly Damon, I, I was amazed. And I think it shows that the, the thirst, the need for people to have football is that is great, isn't it? Are you missing your season to go, or do I take it at Arsenal? Yeah, I am. Yeah, and um, I, yeah, I, uh, again, it's another sort of weird side effect. And I guess I wouldn't want this to continue forever. But I'm really enjoying watching football from the early part of the century, knowing the results. Mm. I mean, it was a lot less stressful. I mean, it just makes me watching all the Arsenal teams. And all, even when losing, is still way less stressful than watching Arsenal today. I was like, so I'm having, a, I'm having this wonderful sort of, you know, it's been it's been good in that respect. And I think we all needed a bit of a break from the stress of it's been, you know, almost running for about you know a decade now, stressful season after stressful season. So that that for me has been a weird delight. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, now let's talk a little bit about some of the um, uh, the, the Lacazette. Do you know the Lacazette balloon <laughs> sucking incident that was on the front page of the Daily Star yesterday? <laughs> Do you have any strong feelings at all about Lacazette um, sucking the gas out of a balloon for enjoyment purposes for the second time? Um, Arsenal, I think, issued the same as the same. It was a private matter, but that they were investigating it. What's your feeling about that? My initial feeling, being from a completely different generation, was, I mean, is there anything wrong in doing the squeaky voice trick at parties? I thought he he, he really enjoys that. He's getting good reactions from the crowd that he's tried it again. And, and, then I, and then I read a bit deeper and found out that we're actually talking about a different drug, which is, uh, I feel not particularly well versed in, you know, We'll go on to it later. I, I've been writing a show where everyone generally has been interested. Has been so. Well, you sound like you know footballers. You're fairly sympathetic to footballers and their lifestyles, and you know, which is a bit swimming against the tide. And 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 generally we are. And then you know, in the space of the last two or three days, there's been two of the, you know a, a spate of stories. We're just like, come on, guys, you're not making it easy for us here. 
Yeah, Lacazette like could absolutely be from the show, couldn't it? Yeah, I think if they did that, yeah. I mean, it, it reminded me when we were kids, we had a May Day fair that was at the local school and they left after they uh, finished for the day. They'd left, they were doing helium balloons, but they'd brought it on a massive, massive drum of it that was on its own trailer and they hadn't dragged it away for some reason. Um, so... That evening, when we were out and just, you know, pissing around, one of my friends thought it'd be brilliant if we nicked it, because it was on wheels. So we nicked it and wheeled it up the road. And we were around with uh, helium-filled balloons. But it's not helium, is it? So I'm probably just a complaint for trivialising drug yeah. use here. <laughs> Something, yeah. <laughs> Josh, what, did you have any shopping? Did you see, Josh, um, I saw some people launch the conspiracy theory that Arsenal had leaked this story because they want to get rid of Lacazette and his wages. Yeah, I think that's probably a sign that people have had too much time in lockdown and, and desperately need to get out. I have no major strong feelings. If you're going to do balloons, now is probably a good time to do them when you don't have to worry about playing football. Um, it's not the night before a game. I think it's moronic. I, I mean, you know, I think Damon just alluded to it. It's not the first football story we've had this week. I mean, there's a level of stupidity that must be involved in sending that video to other people. I mean, it means someone in your inner circle has probably sold you out or forwarded it on without thinking. But the need to send that out is just extraordinary and uh, and they should probably probably know better. The problem is, is not really does that affect him or his performance or what Arsenal are going to do with him. It's, it's purely about this role model thing, uh, which, you know, is, is, is a factor. But... At the moment, anything's a story. Like, anything will be blown up times 20. If this was actually the last week of the season and we were looking ahead to the Champions League final and the FA Cup final, I'd like to think this would barely have registered. So I'm sure it's something and nothing. What can the club say? Don't do it. They're not going to, you can't fine him wages. You can't get rid of him. You know, we just need to focus on on players being able to train and get back to, to playing football. So no major feelings. I don't feel any ill will to him. Do you? Yeah. Uh, no, I officially don't care. I don't give. I don't give a flying shit. But um, uh, uh, but I, I do hope that um, Lacazette stops doing anything vaguely silly because it's not because I want him to stay. I, I, I do really like Lacazette, even though obviously he had a, he's having a pretty bad season so far. And also, the then um, uh, Damon, we had. Did you read the interview with Unai Emery in the Guardian? over the weekend, which was headlined, yeah, I, uh, I, Arsenal couldn't protect me. Truth is, I felt alone. Did you feel sorry for Unai Emery at all in his interview with Sidlow? <laughs> I mean, there are times, obviously because of where it ended, and it was infuriating how long the death was, really, of his managerial career. That, um, uh, you know, I, I don't think all of my sympathy for him has completely evaporated. And when I read that piece, I thought a lot of it was quite even-handed. I think Sid Lowe's a brilliant journalist. It was, I don't think there was a lot in there that he said that I found too controversial. Um, and you're not going to sit there and say, oh, God, I'm, I was terrible, wasn't I? I mean, there are lots of things we can pick fault with. Um, but, yeah, I guess I, I didn't find any of it too sensational. And I think that maybe he's, you know, it's more the memory of the football and the position that he left us in that people get upset about. I mean, I can't really remember anything he said other than buying Zaha would have been his preference over Pepe. I don't think that's that outlandish that most football fans, you know, I think you'd get probably a split room on that. I prefer Pepe, but I don't know. What do you guys think? 
Yeah, I, I prefer Pepe as well. I think, you know, <laughs> I think the, there was a couple of interesting moments. He said um, he talked about how the the results at the end of the season um, were incomprehensible. He said he used that <laughs> word, and yeah. Um, yeah, they were. And but of course, um, and, and he talked about how you know he was trying to reflect and take take responsibility, but. I think his team selection was always incomprehensible, wasn't it? I think that, you know, but I do think expecting anyone in his position to kind of apologise for being a bit crap at various it, it things, it's just not going to happen, is it? Especially no. nowadays where people just don't apologise or say sorry or admit anything, they've got anything wrong at all, ever. So within that context, I thought it was a fairly, you know, revealing interview anyway, despite the fact he couldn't admit to anything. I assume it was in Spanish as well, because um, yeah. it was fairly articulate, wasn't it? I guess... Yeah, I agree. I think that the one thing that I thought was interesting and probably quite concerning was when he said that he alluded to the sort of mercurial nature of this squad that he couldn't always yes. guarantee and he didn't know why. And I know that's his job and I think he could have been better at that. And there are, you know, I think Arteta clearly already has shown that he could be. But it isn't only Emery that has had that problem with successive squads of the you know Arsenal players in that they you know that's been levied at them as a charge by fans and managers you know alike there's something in their DNA at the moment that I don't like in that they can switch off and we've always felt it you know even when they've been flying high switching off against lesser opposition and you know it's it just seems to be a very Arsenal thing and I'm not quite sure I mean I found it really interesting that Emery chose to mention that because it it certainly played you know struck a chord with me I don't know how you guys feel but I thought yeah that does describe Arsenal and I know it's him and I know we want to throw all of our blame onto him but I think he there is something a bit that festers a little deeper than just the man at the top yes yeah, because there was an interesting sentence. He said, I wanted a high level of participation and commitment in the dressing room, as yeah. if you're not automatically going to get that. Josh, what did you think of the, of the whole thing? Well, there were two things I picked out. One, he's thrown Zahar under a bus massively by saying, <laughs> I met with Zahar and he wanted to come and it was, you know, he wanted him to come. I mean, there's one thing if you're Wilfred Zahar and you've got the relationship with the Crystal Palace fans, you can say, well, look, the club want to accept 80 million quid for me. I've got to go. There's another one going, well, I had the meeting with the manager um, and, um, you know, it's not ended up happening. And the other thing was obviously he spoke about all these captains and all these leaders who, who had left. And he made the point that with Ozil, the players didn't want Ozil to be captain. He sort of highlighted that they hadn't voted for him. And it was almost like outside of his control, how he had Ramsey leave and, you know, Koscielny left and Monreal left, you know, in some ways it did give me a, a little bit of, um, you know, a feeling towards him that, it, you know, it was a more difficult period and things were sort of outside of his control. But the biggest thing of all was just a lack of uh, acceptance. It's one thing to go, yes, I got Arsenal to their first European final. Well, can we please bear in mind we played Champions League football in, you know, nearly all that period since 2006. So you can't really immediately com- compare that period. Um, and also, it's like you said, Boyd, he was the one with his team selections, which which blew it at the end of a, of a team that was good enough and should have got in the Champions League. So, you know, there were things I felt for him on, and I feel this is all a bit of a PR overdrive into him being set up to come back and manage someone else in the Premier League, or he clearly hopes that. Um, but ultimately, yeah. no, I didn't feel a huge amount of, uh, of sorrow for him. But it, it was interesting to read and, you know, articulate. And, well, you know, that was something that I, re- I read in full. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. That captain point, Boyd, was that, you know, yeah. 
again, I think a lot of that all is own making, but I, I hadn't seen 89 until lockdown and it was on Sky, wasn't it, the other day? And, and watching yes. Tony Adams talking and, and also reverting to the captain that he was. That's what's so weird about that film. Because whenever I see him on TV now, he seems a bit, you know, he's a bit waffly. He feels a bit like a sort of former prison guard who's turned yoga instructor. And, you know, I kind of <laughs> yeah. know what he's trying to say. But when you hear him talking about being, you know, in his 20s and being a captain and being uh, George Graham's mouthpiece on the field, everything is incredibly clear. And you sort of think this guy was that. That's what, and it made me think that's kind of, I know everyone says captain's roles are, you know, maybe overplayed in modern football, but it's a bit like saying the manager's roles overplayed, isn't it? I, I'm not sure it is. Maybe if you've, if you've got, the, if you've got the charisma of Jurgen, maybe you can be manager and captain and, and carry that off. There's a lot of energy required. And, and I just think that maybe that is a thing that we've missed a lot. It may be, and I was oh, weird. Really, it's yeah. weird. I felt that absence because I haven't felt that until I saw Tony Adams being Tony Adams again, and I was like, mm. "Man, he's impressive, yeah. isn't he?" <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. And, then, and in that, in the in the eighty nine, it was made quite clear. I think Lee Dixon pointed out that Tony Adams used to tap them on their ass every single player um, before the game. So I think that was a key. That kind of captaincy. Um, is key, and you can't replicate that. We haven't had that kind of thing for years, as you say. Yeah. Certainly not um, the social distancing rules. That would, uh, exactly, that would exactly. be frowned on. <laughs> right, now we're going to talk to you, Damon, about your show in depth, uh, but first we're going to take a little bit of a break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back uh, after the break. We've got, uh, I'm Boyd Hill, and we've got, we've got um, Josh, Psychic Josh with us, and Damon Beasley, co-creator, co-writer, and co-producer of The Inbetweeners with Ian Morris. And now, more importantly, well, more importantly this week, um, the first team, which starts next Thursday on BBC Two. All six parts, I think, are coming out as a box set as well, aren't they, I think, on, on that evening? Yes, I believe um, so. And... We should say it's set in an unspecified Premier League team that plays in red with a foreign manager who's clearly stayed on way too long and is run by the American son of a rich American corporation, um, like billionaires. And yet it's not specifically about Arsenal. Hang on. And there's some fan TV people outside the ground, I noticed, Boyd. Oh, yeah. Fan TV people are there, yeah. Now, to what extent, Damon, as an Arsenal fan, is this based clearly on the club that you support? Well, I'd say, I mean, obviously we went to great lengths, and I'm talking about we, Ian Morris is the co-creator of this and was of the in-between, is we went to great lengths to try and make this feel 
while rendering a, a world that felt very authentic from what we'd researched, we wanted to make sure that we didn't make it feel too much like it would be any specific club because that could be alienating for fans of other clubs. Um, but I suspect you can't stop the old noggin in terms of all that information that comes in has to be filtered through your brains. And I think a lot of the things that happen at Arsenal Football Club are probably... I mean, again, I think I'm going to get my season ticket cancelled for saying this. They are quite good fodder in terms of comedy tropes, I suspect. I mean, we have we've been we've been uh, we've been fantastic during my lifetime, and I'm really, you know, unbelievably grateful to have witnessed those fantastic teams. But um, also, we've been really calamitous and uh, and you know, good comedy value behind the scenes. If you aren't an Arsenal fan, obviously, which I <laughs> guess so. Yes. So yeah, it's not deliberate, but I suspect. I mean, there's one scene I think you'll probably think when you see the season go out where the the manager gets a farewell ceremony at the stadium. Yes. And that kind of was hugely inspired by my, you know, by my astonishment and I guess complicity as well in the, uh, you know, unbelievable levels of hypocrisy in the stadium that day where I saw grown men crying as I was, but you know, who've been saying the worst things about Arsene Wenger for probably two or three years while, while we, you know, went through a really tough patch. So just, you know, obviously stuff like that always kind of, you know, I find that tickles me and, and, and yeah. it's inspiring, but yeah, none of it's deliberate is the short answer, but I suspect being a being a long suffering Arsenal fan, a lot of it, uh, you know, might feel a little familiar to some some of you out there. Yeah, that scene is is, is fantastic, and we won't spoil what happens. Um, uh, but the, the the manager doesn't react in the same way. Arsenal fans, <laughs> we'll just leave that there. But so in general, making a making a comedy about um, Premier League football and about and I guess about the entitlement of the players. I mean, that comes through so brilliantly all the way through the, the kind of toxic masculinity and all of that. Was that something that you'd, you'd had in the back of your mind, you and Ian, for a while? And what was the impetus to actually go out and do this project now? Well, we would do, uh, We started discussing this, quite, uh, you know, it was almost 10 years ago when the Inbetweeners was just wrapping its second season. And we were, we were genuinely didn't know if that was going to go again. So we started thinking about what we'd like to do and football as an area came up because we were, you know, we thought we've had a bit of success here writing about male insecurity, effectively, you know, like in a, in a quite a male environment, like a sixth form common room, you know, not so much the common room, but the corner of it. And so football being huge football fans, we could see some sort, some similarities there. We thought it might be an interesting area to write a workplace comedy, but about an industry which is mainly dominated, you know, male heavy, I would say, um, but, you know, very, very privileged and enabled and the one that we all know really well. So that was a starting point. And then just as the in-betweeners grew and grew, that that got sort of put on the side for a while. And, yeah, we've been doing a few other things, Ian and I. Ian made a film, The Festival. I'd done a, uh, a series called White Gold, and we'd been – uh, exec producing on shows through our own company for other writers, Sam Bain, the Peep Show, Half of Peep Show, had written a brilliant series called Ill Behaviour, and Jessica Nappett had done Drifter. So we have always been working together, and then suddenly, you know, as uh, we got to, well, probably it was about two years ago, we had a window where we thought, well, we, we haven't actually written anything together and, for a while. And we really wanted to do something together. So we started thinking, well, look, you know, the football show, that's 
that's there to be done, isn't it? We really, you know, things have changed. I think we moved on a little bit, but it was still, still, you know, still was in the back of our minds. It was the thing we wanted to do next. And Josh mentioned the, uh, you have got the uh, fan TV element there, which I thought was, you, you, was it was it part of making the whole film, thing feel accurate and um, authentic? You're having, you kind of allude to media coverage and, what the, and fan entitlement and the players having not much else to do apart from their, you know, a few hours of training every day and then they're resorting to making, to playing pranks on each other and making sex videos. It's just, it feels very accurate and authentic. Is that hard to make it feel like that, that you're capturing this world as it is? I think to us it's not because I suspect uh, a bit like to you guys it wouldn't be because you're you're so immersed in it aren't we we talk about it all the time we watch these videos and we're on you know it's part of the experience as love them or loathe them you know DT and the rest of the Arsenal fan TV crew are now part of the sort of you know the whole match day experience for everyone so we just wanted to roll in everything that we could that made it feel like the, you know, top level football that we all love and enjoy at the moment. And, and it's a great device as well for you, you know, know, being lazy writers. It's quite a great, good device narratively to have fans tell you how poorly the team or how well the team are doing. They can just, they can drop us into a space and go, right. Okay. We're on a bad run of results or, um, as well as being inherently funny themselves. I mean, that's why, you know, no one, I don't think, anybody would be surprised who makes those pieces for Arsenal fan TV to find out that people most 90% of the people watching it are watching it for the comedic value. And they're only tuning in when people are losing their minds on, on TV after a game when we've lost. So, so, you know, all in all, it felt like, you know, a bit irresistible to you'd be sad not to have it, I guess. Damon, there was a lovely, funny moment I thought where, and I've only watched the first episode, I should say, where one of the one of the players goes back to their houses and there's just nothing in it. It's empty. <laughs> there's empty shelves. There's empty rooms. Did you talk to any like footballers, ex-footballers, to help put it together? Like people that have either been involved in the game or or, or are at the moment. Yeah, we did. We so we had a. We had an advisor on the show who we can tell you who was. He's credited, which is Matty or Matthew Lawrence, who played for Millwall. Um, I think he played in the Premier League, certainly in a championship. And now he's a, uh, a commentator on uh, probably ESPN, but one of the MLS ch- um, channels that have got the rights in the US. So he's still involved in football heavily. And he was... He was brilliant, actually. He gave us, uh, you know, he gave us a window into dressing rooms uh, a generation ago, I guess. I mean, that's not being too cruel, aging him prematurely. And also, you know, what the game's like now. Um, but beyond that, we spoke to, we spoke to Premier League players. We were given great access and people were very generous with their time. And we spoke to managers, players, physios, um, you know, directors of football, uh, press people, um, the chairman of football clubs, doctors. So we, you know, we, it was it was like a you know winning a competition. A lot of the time, it was Ian and I would sit there and think, well, this is sort of as good as it gets in terms of a job. Just sitting, hanging around a Premier League sort of training facility and watching them all eat lunch while they sort of look at you a little bit suspiciously, like who are those guys? While they're writing in their little books. So, yeah, so yeah, we did a lot of research. I can't really tell you. It would be great to say, oh, yeah, we spoke to this person and that person, but I don't feel like we, we could betray any confidences. 
No, I understand. There were just some lovely moments that I can really relate to, having heard ex-players speak about it. You know, you talk about that little cliques in in dressing rooms, and yeah, just as I mentioned, they're sort of so typically that young rich footballers with far too much money end up buying houses and use one room and and never have like the, the simple <laughs> things in in the house and press officers who who claim that they love you, but you know, ultimately work for the club and have to follow the club line on everything, even if it means selling you out. So now I thought it was some, some, some lovely moments in there. Where, where did you use to do, and I've only seen the first episode, where, where did you do most of the filming, like the dressing room and, and stuff with the stands and stadiums? Well, again, we're, I think, Oh God, this is the boring answer. Isn't it? We're not really allowed to say because of the agreements okay. in place, but I can say it was a premier league dressing room. You might recognize it. You could have visited it. Some people, you know, it's one that it's got a tour there. Um, in the dressing rooms the training facilities we used an international training facility so we went up there and used that it was a brand new one which was you know it was brilliant to use because i don't think you can replicate some of the elements of that experience can you the locations the pitches themselves they're so perfectly flat and they the grass is so beautifully cut you know they're they're out cutting that grass three or four times a day and it's wonderful to watch um, but yeah, so you know, we were very lucky. We we wanted it to feel authentic, and and so we got to film a, a, a you know a, a, a few football stadiums. Um, yeah, it's difficult to say about naming them. The one thing I would say about the stadiums is, uh, you know, I'm a huge stadium fan. I love seeing stadiums, and there's something almost more impressive about them when they're empty. So being in a stadium when it's empty, it's a bit like cathedrals. I said to Ian, it's that kind of like they they are. Without people in them, they somehow they're even there's something even more majestic about them. So, I, as a fan, I just had a fantastic time just you know drinking up the atmosphere of these stadiums and uh, these brilliant sports arenas. So we're very very lucky. And Damon, I mentioned how um, in the show the chairman of, of the club is American and it's owned by Americans, and you've got Will Arnett playing this kind of um, doofus figure <laughs> who is in charge of the club. Was that a key thing to have? It does add to the whole. And, and in fact, the main character is American, so he joins the team um, from an MLS club, doesn't he? And he's kind of mystified as to why they've signed him. Does yeah. having the American element, does that add another level to the whole thing, a kind of another texture to the whole thing, if you like? I think so. I mean, with, with our main character, Matty, who's played by Jake Shaw, um, he, uh, you know, we... we we talk, We went back and forth, but we really liked the idea of him being American because in the MLS, they've got a much more collegiate kind of tradition in sport in America. I don't know whether people know this, but like in general, it's changing a bit now, but you used to have to go via universities or high-level universities to get into top sports teams. So... Uh, you know, and they don't get paid that much in the MLS, actually. There's a handful of players who get paid a lot. Everyone else is on very sort of like average wages. So we wanted someone who could come over here and and, and look at, you know, all of the sort of enabled privileged behaviour and the huge wages and, and, and just, you know, marvel and scoff at it. I think comedically that's a really good position to put them in. And I guess a bit like Will in the in-between as being coming from a private school to a state school. So, so we wanted an element of that. And then I think as far as chairmen go, I think it's, you know, it's just pretty common now for there to be foreign ownership of Premier League clubs and people who've got other interests really in their lives other than football, you know, who aren't intimately connected to it like the, maybe the previous generation of owners. And, and, and we, you know, we could have gone, you know, Russian or anywhere. I think the language thing was one of the reasons that we decided to go American, not the Arsenal thing. 
if you're listening, Arsenal. <laughs> and also, <laughs> and also because I, I'd met Will Arnett because of White Gold. He was a fan, and we'd met up just in one of those terribly sort of wanky kind of like. Uh, celebrity things where he'd said he was a fan and dro- someone had dropped us a line and we met up and it was great and he was uh, you know he, uh, I'm a huge fan of his work and I, I I mean to the extent that when I got an email saying Will on it like that show and wanted to meet I thought it was I genuinely thought it was a, a wind up and I said just write back to Netflix and tell them to check their sources and they were like no this is <laughs> fine this is all right so we met and and we all got on and and yeah Ian and I were just I think we just bamboozled him tricked him a little bit into coming <laughs> agreeing to be in, a, in our next show so we had will in mind you know that's how that kind of ended up being right the other side of the atlantic but it feels very fitting doesn't it and tom werner who works on the show who's our exec producer who's this big you know huge like uh legend in american television in sitcoms he's responsible for roseanne and um that 70s show and the connors at the moment the cosby show huge huge hits he uh obviously is probably more well known in this country because he owns liverpool football club and he's the chairman of the football club so so again all roads were pointing slightly towards american influence Yes, um, I'll, I'll check with Will. I'm interviewing Will Arnett on Wednesday, gloriously yeah. enough. So I'll check with him whether you bamboozled him into joining the show or not. I'll, we'll, I'll find out. Um, <laughs> and we should ask you about your Arsenal support before before we um, run out of time. So do you, are you a, are you a, where do you sit? Are you a club level like me? You're a club level elitist no. like me, or are you no? Uh, you're with no, your... I'm on the I'm on the bottom tier. Um, and I was I had my season ticket started at Highbury. I was thinking about this before we came on today. Uh, I think it was 96, 97 was when I got tickets. Me and my friend Al, who have gone ever since, we, uh, we, we're we really bad, you know, we, especially then in the 90s, and we were, we were just blokes. We hadn't filled in the forms properly to get season tickets that year. And so I'd left it to the last day, and I was like, oh, sorry, I didn't send them off, Al. So I had to go up to the stadium, and I went up to the Marble Halls. This is, I'm such a Wally, I didn't really know. And I was sort of thought I might get season tickets. You know, I didn't realise there was this waiting list. And... I got there and the woman at the desk really helpfully was saying it's a bit unusual. Normally, you know, people are coming to collect their tickets. We're not really have, you know, you don't just come and buy a season ticket. And then one of the, uh, the, you know, the commissaires, the commission, are they commissioners, commissaires? What do you call it? Com- commissioners, I think. Yeah. 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 So this commissioner came over and he said, what, you know, what's happening? And, and I said, Oh, I forgot to get the form in and we wanted to get tickets. He said, are there any tickets? And the lady went, are there any seats? And she said, well, there are a couple going spare. I don't know if somebody had passed away or something like that. So he took me that day all around the stadium to the seats wow. that he wanted to show me a pair of seats. And he said, what do you think of these? And I was like, um, Yes, can I have them, please? And they went, yeah. So I don't know anyone else who got Arsenal season tickets like that. And then the next season, uh, obviously Wenger came in fully in charge and and everything went brilliantly. Uh, so, it, you know, I was very lucky to get those seats. But, yeah, I've been there. And that now, is amazing. Yeah. So I'm now at the Emirates, which is fine, isn't it? It's not. It's, not... it's fine, yeah. It's fine. Yeah. It's, it's fine. I, I go through periods of, like, you know, when the results are really bad, getting annoyed about it. And then, you know, other days looking at it and thinking, this is a beautiful arena for football. And I guess it just shows you, doesn't it? We're fickle. So yeah, <laughs> football I, fans. I agree. Yeah, same, same. yeah but yeah, um, I guess we're just, I'm, I'm, you know, I've been going a little less frequently. I'm, I'll admit since I've moved to seven weeks and children, but I try and get to probably, you know, over half the home games a year. 
Um, and and we, we need to wrap up soon, but I just wanted to find out when you were making the show, when you were making, what was the kind of, when you were researching and you were meeting footballers and you were listening to Matty who was advising you and you were observing them, what, was there anything that particularly surprised you about the way they are, their lifestyle, this kind of weird world they're in? What was, what was the kind of biggest thing that you learned? Yeah, I think like from an anthropological sort of standpoint, I was quite surprised the quieter places than I imagined the uh, you know the training facilities. So Ian and I were sitting down at lunch one day, and we uh, you know all the players were there and they were chatting and they were you know very respectful. And I was kind of like, if this had been a dining bus on a TV production, it's chaos. You know, it's just it's just a lot of noise. And I don't know if that's just a consequence of the work that we do because you know we're, we have to do a lot of it in silence. But um, it didn't feel like other industries in that respect. I, I was surprised, I guess, that it was as pr- I think it felt very professional. I don't mean that as a slur. I mean, I, I was I, I was suddenly like, well, this is big business and it's treated like big business. And the people that are involved in it, in the main, I know I'm making generalizations, especially the younger players, they're there and they're focused and they, you know, they, they know what they're doing. And I was I was really impressed with that and surprised because I kind of like grown up on Tales of the Crazy Gang and, you know, watching 89 and where you'd get pinned yeah. against the wall if you sort of like look like you didn't care enough on Derby Day. So it's... That, that was that was my main takeaway. Is yeah, I was impressed with that professionalism. Josh, do you think you, in all, all the uh, footballers you speak to, do you, do you think they'll um, recognise themselves in this in this search? I can't wait. I mean, I know I got a little advance link uh, sent so that we could do this podcast, but I want to forward it already to a few people um, who have been around. You're not allowed to do that, Josh. Don't forward the link. No, I won't be doing that because it's got it's, it gets your name on a watermark all over it, and you never know it might end up back with yeah. Lacazette and get in the Daily Star, and I don't want it to come back to me. So I'm not going to. Do that. <laughs> um, what what I would say is. I have just heard the most surreal conversations of the years. And look, I'm dealing with ex-footballers, really, so it's a bit easier once your career ends. But things like, which is also alluded to in that first episode, like FIFA ratings. I mean, you wouldn't believe, like, how can this be a thing that you're a multimillionaire at the age of, like, early 20s and you care about your FIFA rating? But it's a thing. Um, You know, we've seen these uh, Premier League um, FIFA tournaments happening in the last couple of weeks in lockdown. And the reaction when some of these youngsters who are taking part are losing, they're like throwing their controls. It's like, wow. Like, you know, it's just, it was just so funny and, and so many nice things about it. So I think there will be bits where I can well imagine this, you know, links being sent and have you watched this and doesn't yeah. that remind you of this? And, and that's a credit to, you know, to Damon and, and the show. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to It's six part, isn't it? So I've got five to go. It's, it's six parts. And I think, you know, just saying that one thing I would say, and I think it's really important. We wanted to put a human face on footballers because they do get a bad press and not all of them are, you know, some of them deservedly so, but not in the main. And I, and, and I think, you know, the one thing you have to remember is these are normally just kids who love playing football, who've grown up doing nothing but play football, who've dedicated their lives to it to the point that they haven't even had a proper adolescence, you know. And to them, I think this is going back to where it all started, when we decided to do this this show, Ian had met on a transatlantic flight and a, a Premier League footballer who sat next to him by chance. And, uh, and they had a conversation and Ian came back and said, God, it's so much about their lifestyle that, uh, you know, you... you you kind of think you know, but you're wrong about. And the, and the one thing that really stuck with us, as well as them having a lot of time in their hands and not knowing what to do, was this, this, this footballer had said, 
we often do this as fans. We shout at the crowd from the crowd and say, you don't care about the badge. He's just picking up his paycheck. And, you know, you don't care if they win or lose. And this footballer was saying, that couldn't be more wrong. He said, because, you know, of all the reasons I just listed, we've sacrificed so much to get to this point. Whether we win or lose means, you know, how much I get paid for giving up my life to do this. This is like every result matters to me um, and more than you guys, more than you could ever know. So I, I, I found that a really interesting jumping off point. And I think that over, I think you could probably tell if you watch it, we have quite a sympathetic outlook, I guess, on, on, on these footballers. Because I say they get a terrible time in the press. This pandemic's very sort of, you know, start of it. You can remember when they were brought up by the health minister and people were singling them out. And it seemed bizarre. Like, why are these the only, you know, not even millionaires in many cases who are getting, you know, getting loaded with the blame for not propping up the NHS. And I, I and I think that sometimes that you, you've got to remember they're young lads. They're not, they're asked to be club ambassadors and have like sage-like wisdom, um, be philanthropists when they needed to be, uh, you know, consistency levels must never drop and they mustn't put a foot wrong in their life or on social media or their careers could be over. And that is, if you think back to when you were 20 years old, that is not, you know, that's not the skill set of most 20 year olds that you meet. And so I think football does, sometimes it breaks them, but also it does a great service for a lot of these young lads that they go through that and they come out the other side you know, David Beckham's a good example. He was vilified at the start of his career. Now he's almost canonised. And that's good people behind him, a good football club behind him, making good decisions himself. And I think there are lots of those stories in football that we should, you know, think a bit more carefully about. And we should treat our footballers with a bit more respect, basically, is what I think, because they're no different to us in in many ways. Mm. Oh, I think I think when people watch the whole thing, yeah, I think you definitely come away with it thinking, just that there's, you know, there's a shy character also that was interesting. There's a, they're all, they're likable. There's they're eccentric ones. Yeah. It's definitely, I feel like humanizes, yeah. humanizes the footballer. Absolutely. They're all idiots as well, boy. They're yeah. all idiots. You remember and they're all idiots. So, they're yeah, all absolutely. so that's a given. They're idiots. Yeah. Anyway. Well, they're all very funny as well. More importantly than anything, it's very, very Thank funny. You. Um, Damon, we could talk about um, the first team all night, but we have to wrap up and um, we could talk about Arsenal all night as well. Thanks so much for coming on and uh, talking Arsenal and talking about the show. And of course, we should say this, the series starts next Thursday, the 28th on BBC Two at 9.30. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. It's my lifelong dream to be on an Arsenal podcast. So <laughs> if, if Josh ever gets, you know, sick, I'm not wishing this on you, Josh. I'm just saying I'm waiting in the wings here, Boyd. Oh, I'm calling you. Don't worry about that. Right. That's it. We're, we're, That's it. we're doing that. And, and one day when we will return to going to football, you and I can hang out in the lower tier, in the cheap seats. Boyd won't be able to come down and see us, but I, I hope we can meet in the ground. Boyd right. won't be able to get down through security to the cheap seats. <laughs> that would be a joy. That's I'd love it. to do that one day. Okay. Brilliant. Cheers, Damon. Thanks so much. Thank and, you very uh, much. And we'll be back next week, won't we, Josh? Yep. See you next week. Cheers. All right, guys. Bye. Bye. Stay safe. Bye. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.